0: Exodus chapter 4 we're starting at verse 18. All right Exodus 4 and 18 start one more time for me son. thank you.
1: So Moses went back to home to Jethro his father-in-law please let me return to my relatives in Egypt Moses said I don't even know if they are still alive go in peace Jethro replied Before Moses left Midian, the Lord said to him, return to Egypt for all those who wanted to kill you have died. So Moses took his wife and sons, put them on a donkey and headed back to the land of Egypt. In his hand, he carried the staff of God. And the Lord told Moses, when you arrive back in Egypt, go to Pharaoh and perform all the miracles I've empowered you to do but I will harden his heart, so he will refuse to let the people go. Then, when you, when you will tell him, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn. I commanded you, let my son go, so he can worship me. But since you have refused, I will now kill your firstborn son. On the way to Egypt, at a place where Moses and his family had stopped for the night, the Lord confronted him and was about to kill him. But Moses' wife, Zipporah, took a foot knife and circumcised her son. She touched his feet with the foreskin and said, now you are a bridegroom of blood to me. When she said a bridegroom of blood, she was referring to the circumcision. After that, the Lord left him alone. Amen. Amen, amen.
0: turn my mic off. All right, you all may take your seats and help me as you're taking your seats introduce the title for today's message. Everyone say saved. 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 I have been utilizing somebody has the they Bible reading. Uh, <laughs> I've been utilizing the book by Zora Neale Hurston entitled Moses Man of the Mountain to be a companion with us in this series called Freedom Ain't Free. I'll read a bit of her words leading up to this moment that we are with our present text. It reads, the voice was hushed. The bush no longer burned. In fact, It looked just like it had yesterday and the day before and the day before that. The mountain was just as usual with the wind yelling against its rocky knots. There was nothing to speak to the senses of Moses and verify what he had heard and to hold him to what he had unwillingly promised. That is, nothing but the rod he held in his hand. Therefore, it was not a vision, neither was it a dream. This bush had blazed with fire before his eyes, but it had not burned as was natural. A serpent had become a rod in his hand and a rod had become a serpent and back again. Life could never be again what it once was. He had promised a God to go down into hated Egypt and command a man whom he hated and who hated him to permit a people whom Pharaoh hated to leave his servitude and go free. Moses dropped to a shady rock and sat with his face covered until the sun got low and red. Then he dragged himself home behind his mumbling sheep. In this series, we've been following the trajectory of Moses, who God calls to lead the children of Israel out of their captivity in Egypt. And I imagine many of you have made the connections and overtones to this particular story rising up in the month of February for us. There are connections that can go without saying, but beauty that happens even as we sit just in this story itself. And what I love that uh, Hurston brings up is After all of this is done, we've heard of the issues that have happened in Egypt. We've heard of the slavery that has been there. We've heard of Moses trying to respond and in kind killing an Egyptian, going on the run. He's now started new life, and in the middle of his new life, wife and children are born. He is finally freed of the pressures of what used to be. God meets him upon a mountain. God calls out to him by name, sets a bush ablaze, attracts his attention, and God begins to have a conversation with a man that may have or may not have well known him before. And after all of that, after the fire has now gone out, the voice is now quieted, it is Moses now left to ask, what do I do with what you have told me? Do I believe it to be true? Was I hallucinating? Did I make this up? Can I describe this to other people in a way that they might believe me? Do I believe me? Could God be? Who is God? Is this God the same God of my people who seems to have been dormant for so many years? Should I trust? Where do I go from here? And the scriptures tell us That we know where he goes. Despite of whatever tension may have been in his heart, whatever doubt may have existed, whatever concern may have been there, the scriptures, the story tells us that Moses now goes and talks to Jethro. He goes to father-in-law and says, hey, this is what has happened to me. And I'm actually going to ask if you would let me go and do what God has called me to do. And this ain't even a real deep point of the message, but I feel it necessary to hang it here. I love the fact that though God had called Moses to do something, he still went to his father-in-law and checked in. I I love this not because I believe that Moses needed somebody else's permission to do what God had told him to do. I I, I love this not because he is trying to, to get out of what God is calling him to do. But I believe he is functioning in deference to someone who had been good to him. I know we might not clap about that as much because we live in a culture where people are only good to us when we want them to be good to us and soon as we have used them up we can treat them as if they've never existed before but I'm so glad that scriptures remind us that you should be mindful of those that made a way for you. You should be mindful of those that opened doors for you. You should be mindful of those that gave you opportunity when nobody else was there. You been by yourself, but Jethro opened his doors. Jethro gave you a place to live. How dare you treat Jethro like he's nothing now? Moses goes back to the one who had made sure that Moses had something. And he gives him deference. And I say this, and I I say this, I say this more specifically to our young people, but to all of us uh, readily that are listening, We've developed such a culture that everybody wants to be the person that we no longer respect the other people who have been the person before us. We don't respect our parents because we don't know what it took for them to provide for us. We don't respect the teachers or, or, the love, or, or the others that have been over us. Can I tell you there's something that goes to that deference and watch this, hear this, hear this. You are not less because you have deference. Because you lift up those who have been a blessing to you, because you do well by those who have gone before you, does not diminish who you are. In fact, it strengthens who you are because you are strong enough to say, I can still say thank you and be just as great as God has Something... We got to get this again. Because then we go into community and we wonder why we don't get along. And sometimes the reason we don't get along is deference. I remember my mother would make sure, my father would make sure I never called an adult just by their first name. And, And hear me. This is not the the, the, the politics that is just trying to say because you're young, you got to be quieted. I'm not saying that, but there's a level of respect that comes. And guess what? When we learn to give respect, we also imbue ourselves with respect. I can't imagine somebody going up to my grandmother and just calling her just by her name. And you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of The history of our people, when black men and black women weren't given good names, and children of another race would walk up to them and call them by first name as a form of disrespect. And I think that we've come to a place that we ought to be able to lift some folks up well enough. If they can see something different, we are literally walking with people, living with people who have walked through the the, the throes of Jim Crow, some who have been the first to integrate schools, some who have been the first to walk into these opportunities we have, shouldn't we give them some level of deference? I say this out of the burden of my heart, but also out of the burden of our church because God has made us a multi-generational church. And I pray that we learn how to communicate with each other. And of the same deference, watch this, when Jethro hears what Moses is saying God has called him to do, Jethro gives him blessing and tells him to go in peace that this deference really is two-way. That when they do come, when they are trying, that we should be the group that welcomes them, that breathes life into their hopes and dreams. We shouldn't always be the ones that are shooting them down and telling them what they can't do. We shouldn't be the first ones to say, well, why would God call you who you think you are? How you know that God may be? We should be the voice that finally encourages them when they are constantly surrounded by negativity on social media, in school, sometimes in their own homes. They should be able to come to some adults and finally hear that they are valued and that someone cares Moses goes back to Jethro. Jethro doesn't think about what he's losing, but blesses Moses, says you should go on your way. And then scripture says that Moses still is concerned. I don't even know who all is still alive. God has mentioned to him in their conversation that his brother Aaron is there. But I don't know how many. I don't know if my mom is still there. I have no idea if my sister is still alive. I don't know if the midwife that saved me is still alive. I haven't heard word about my father in a long time. I don't know what it will look like when I go. But then scripture says, but then he gets his wife, his sons, and the staff of God. And they mount a donkey. Yeah. Now I want to preach this one as an amazing point. We're getting to the main part, but I'm amazed at how Moses' call created complete transformation for his wife yeah. and his children. Yeah. Amen. Hear me, hear me. there are times when the calling upon an individual completely undoes everything for those that are connected to them directly. And we often laud the gift of Moses while overlooking the cost to Zipporah. Zipporah has to leave sisters. She has to leave family She has to leave the world that she has only known to follow a man into the belly of the beast. God is not calling them to go to the beautiful land of Canaan. He's not saying the place that they are getting ready to go will be a land flowing in milk and honey. This is the very place that if you show up and you are caught the wrong way, you could be thrown into the same cast and the same group of people that you are coming to say, what happens, Moses, if we get there and they enslave us? And you want me to take my boys there? Scripture doesn't tell us how she responds, doesn't tell us if there was consternation in her heart, doesn't lift up her perspective, and maybe rightfully so, this is a historical narrative, is it meant to tell us the story about Moses, but I can't help but hear her voice, and I can't help but hear the voices of so many who have been quieted. And you know, I've said it before, and this is not just a woman thing, but I'm glad to be able to utilize women to show it. But I'm amazed that Zipporah almost is unknown to biblical history. We don't say her name. We don't lift her up. But she's now marching towards the very place that could be their very end. Children in hand. Supporting the man that God called. Prayerfully, God spoke to her. Prayerfully, there was some, some inkling in her heart, but more than likely, she just had to trust him. And now, they are taking this move, and they are moving. She's giving up everything. And scripture says that in the middle of the night, upon their journey, they run into a confrontation with God. This is really where I want to park the majority of our time today because I love to be able to preach the message about a loving God that cares for his people. But I think that sometimes we act as if love is only one thing, We walk around as if we have the monopoly on what love means, and oftentimes the way that we define love is nothing to do with the biblical way by which it is used. But how do we wrestle with a God that got so angry that he was willing to kill Moses? I want to make you all wrestle this morning because I think us wrestling might make us better. Here it is that God set a bush ablaze, didn't burn it, spoke to a man with an audible voice, utilized angels to grab his attention, goes back and forth, engages Moses in a way that we hadn't seen God engage since Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is somebody special. Even Joseph, who led them to Egypt, doesn't have the connection that we hear that God burns a bush and lets him hear his audible voice. He can interpret dreams. He has a way of understanding and discerning, but not the way that he speaks to Moses. Moses is something special. And in the middle of his specialness, in process of his call, God raises up in anger against Moses. And I'm going to be honest, I'll get deeper into this in Bible study, so if you want more on this, show up to Bible study Wednesday night. But what I will say here is that the Scripture doesn't even tell us why. Commentator and uh, Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann, who I often argue with, says that this is meant to show us of the untamed holiness of God. I want you to hear that. That God's holiness is so untamed, we can't even be around it. That this is to remind us that dealing with God is a dangerous game. I believe that there's some spiritual import from that. But I also believe that there's more to this. Because this isn't the first time that God has gotten angry with Moses. Moses. If you go to some of the preceding verses in chapter 4, Moses is going back and forth with God. God called Moses, told Moses he wanted him to go, and all Moses does is protest. There is a bush on fire that ain't burning. You are listening to an audible voice. You have taken your shoes off because you are on holy ground and yet your response to the great I am is to tell God what you can and can't do? Oh, I think you missed it. This is why, and this is going to be, I'm just going to say it. This is why I think Moses was black. It's only black folks that show up to work and tell their boss what they is and they ain't gonna do. I didn't come here to work today, Jesus. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Blame that. That was me. That was me. That was me. Because black people do work. Can I… Let me say that. And black people do work. Let's be honest. Black people work all the time. I'm not trying to build into the narrative. Y'all do. But you know that was funny. You know that was funny. Okay. But watch this. He goes back and forth with God. God. I don't even know who you are. Who should I tell them is sending me? God gives them name. Okay. But what if they don't believe me? Okay. Take that staff, throw it down. It became a snake. Pick the snake back up. It's a staff again. Put your hand in there. Watch. Look at it. All oh, it's all messed up. Put it back in there. Bring it out. Bang. It's all good again. I got you miracles, dog. You're going to be good. But God, I don't speak well. Scripture says by the time he got to this, his third protest, God has said, You know what? I'm getting angry with you. <laughs> because we think of sin as only this list of things that have been made to be bad when the real definition of sin is falling short. Meaning, that Moses was in the presence of the holy God being sinful by questioning the God that was calling him to do something again and again and again. Watch this. By talking of Moses' own limitations. Yeah. Moses is right. Well, People crazy. Yeah. He don't know the name of God. Yeah. And he has a speech impediment. Yeah. True. But none of that stops the purpose of God flowing through an imperfect person with God on their side. I pray that you can hear that. Moses got a lot of issues. Moses is not perfect. God is not calling Moses because he's so strong. God is not calling Moses because he's so able. God is not calling Moses because he can speak so well. He's calling Moses because he desires to use Moses. Everything that God wants to do through Moses, God is willing to do through Moses. And all Moses gives him. It's all the reasons why Moses can't do it. Can you imagine the frustration of the God that said, Let there be light? Light didn't sit in council and be like, Wait a minute, God, we ain't ready. God, we ain't never been light before. Are you sure we can go ahead and light up the whole universe? I don't know, God. Light just said, cool. You said it, I do it. Imagine the same God that takes the stars, flings them, rolls the earth, puts down the mountains, skewers out spaces for water, makes sure all of this and calls it good, and Moses is talking to him. Yeah. Like, but I don't think you know who you just called. Yeah, 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 yeah. He called you by name. All right. But watch this. Despite God's anger with Moses, despite the fact that God has to use imperfect people often to bring about his perfect ends, oh. he even relents to Moses and says, fine, bring your brother too. He talk a lot anyway. (laughs) (laughs) And I will allow you to put my words into his mouth and he can go out there. So with all of this back and forth for God, with all of this interaction with Moses and God, what do you think would cause God to finally be like, you know what? I'm done. Now, here's some spiritual stuff for you, uh, biblical stuff that I think. Number one is I believe that the writers of Exodus had a challenge. They had a challenge because they didn't even know, I think, they don't even know the best word to use here. Uh, Our current version says that God tried to kill Moses. Here's where I have a problem. What does God try to do that God cannot do? seriously. I mean, like, are, you, are we saying that God is incapable of showing up and like, dude, you out of here? Like, is, is that what we're saying? I don't think that that's what they're trying to communicate. They're recognizing the limitation of their words. They're communicating that Moses and God had some unresolved issues, meaning that Moses more than likely had something that he was not doing that God had told him to do. He is following the call, but not following the call God's way. He is acting as if the very fact that he's kind of doing what God told him to do, that God should be quiet and just be happy with it. And God shows up and says, no, I can't have you leading that way because the level of specificity that I will need for you to follow is going to require a different level of of obedience from you than everybody else. You can't just kind of follow me. You can't follow me when it's convenient. You can't do what I say when you like to. I need you to follow me too the letter. I don't need you to question it. I don't need you to worry about it. I don't need you to turn around on it. I need you to do exactly what I say. And we struggle with that because we question everything. In fact for many of us we've trained up our kids to question everything because they've been quieted so much. And there's a gift in that. But what happens when your calling requires complete obedience? Yeah. And this is the gift, right? The Bible doesn't say what the issue was. Because I don't think the Bible is trying to make this the issue that all of us need to follow. It's not meant to be a universal issue. But I can tell you one thing. Moses knew. It doesn't tell us how God showed up. We don't know if Moses gets sick. In fact, the the way the text is written, the hymn is kind of open. It's ambiguous. Is this referring to Moses or is it referring to his son? What it does tell us is where Moses has not, does not, maybe refuses to act. There's one person who does. It's one person who shows up. One person who does not let the mandates of God go unrequited. There's one person who shows up to make sure that God is pleased. God shows up, doesn't try, but creates space. Listen to this. Listen to the love of God. The love of God means that although the wrath of God can meet you, that God puts space between his wrath and your action. To give you opportunity to fix it yeah. before you feel the full brunt of the wrath. Yeah. that God loves us so much, that He creates space us to get it right, that God loves us so much that even when His anger is burning against us, He'll hold it back just enough to give you a chance to try to make sure that you can get it right. And and I wish I had a few more people that could get excited that God loves you so much that He'll hold off His anger just long enough so you can get a chance to try to turn around and fix it before God shows up. You can fight with a lot of things. You can fight oppressive structures. You can fight people that are your enemies. You can fight even your internal self. But you can't fight God. Scripture says God shows up, confronts them, and it is Zipporah who acts. Zipporah circumcises her son. She does this and Scripture doesn't say why. We might believe that this is old, ancient kind of rituals. Some believe this might even be connected back to kind of the covenant from Abraham. But the scripture keeps it open. And I don't think that that's the most important part. I think the important part is that she acted. Watch this. Uprooted from family. Sent to a place that more than likely she don't want to be. She is the actor that saves the Savior. I've come to recognize that even the greatest of us need people to save us. And I'll stand as uh, an honest truth teller to tell you, you don't know how many times my wife has preserved my life. That her prayers for me, her lifting me have kept me when I couldn't keep myself. And I'm no Moses. Moses is now the one that is burdening the, show, the, the, the burdens of every single Hebrew. Yes. And it is the poorer that makes sure he lives. Yes. She does one of the most difficult tasks, one that oftentimes were done by fathers, yes. which seems to imply that Moses was deficient in a way. She fills in a gap that potentially Moses should have filled. She opens up an opportunity, and God responds not to Moses, but to Zipporah. God relents because Zipporah showed up. Zipporah was his mediator. Before Moses ever stood between God and people, Zipporah stood between God and Moses. Before the wrath of God was going to rain down on the children of Israel, and it is Moses that holds God back and says, remember that these are your people. It was Zipporah that taught him how to do it. That before there was ever a Moses who saved Egypt, there was a Zipporah that saved Moses. So, we don't get a Moses without a Zipporah. I dare say, we don't get a king without a Coretta, dare say we don't get a Barack without a Michelle, I dare say the list could go on and on the gifts that we have seen. But in this moment, we see an image in Zipporah that becomes an image for all of us and all of eternity. Zipporah stands between God and Moses. Zipporah sheds blood between God and Moses. Zipporah holds back the wrath of God towards Moses. Zipporah becomes the filler to make sure that Moses can make it. And maybe we've never seen the connection before. We've always thought that it was just Moses that was crafted in the image of one to come. But I believe that we see another who was crafted in the image of one to come. That there's another one that stands in between God and people another one that has the ability to shed blood to cover the wrath of God. There's another one that has been able to hold back the consequences of our own sins. There is another one that goes up to God regularly and mediates on our behalf. God, I know what they've done. God, I know they've messed up. God, I know they don't deserve it. God, I know they deserve to go down. But can I tell you there's some blood on top of them right now. Blood Shed from Emmanuel's veins, a blood that came at the cost of everybody, that made sure now that everybody has the chance to be saved. <laughs> Zipporah and Moses become depictions of what Jesus will be to the church. Jesus comes to earth and stands between the righteous wrath of God. Because every single time we sin, every time we fall short, God deserves to punish it because His holiness cannot take it. So that for God now to be in presence with us means that something was able to stand in between us as a buffer this is why when Jesus dies upon the cross the scriptures say that the veil of the temple was rent it was torn in two no longer did God have to stay away because there's blood that now says that God can be with God's people every time we show up for worship and we sense the presence of God we ought to be upon our knees saying thank Thank you Jesus, 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 thank you Jesus. Because if God shows up without Jesus, we all would be dead, but thanks be to God, thanks be to Jesus, thanks be to the blood, thanks be to the one that saved our lives that we can stand in the presence of God that we can stand against the wrath of God because someone had the audacity to pay our bill I know we love to say that we've been saved but maybe we ought to say we've been paid in full I know you love to say, I ain't gotta go to hell no more. But we ought to say there was somebody with a bank account big enough, somebody that had enough resources, somebody that could pay everything I owe. That before we ever had debt forgiveness through an administration in America, We had debt forgiveness on what sin said we owed by a man named Jesus giving his life upon a cross. Thank you God that you saved us. Thank Thank you God that you've raised us. Thank you God that you give us another chance. Thank you, God, that we can see it. Thank you, God, that we can feel it. Thank you, God, that you are in our presence right now. Thank you for Zipporah. Thank you for Moses. But more than all of those, we thank you for Jesus. So it's my hope that if you've never fully understood what it means to be saved, that you would grab that salvation today. Pray with me.